Good morning everywhere you are and anywhere you are. Welcome. This is Tevo DRC. And we want to focus on God's greatness. We're here at the DFW Leader Ministry Online Fellowship at onlinefellowship.us. And we're here with the Lord. And every day we think about all the wonderful things He does and all the different kinds of wonderful people that exist on the world. All the different kinds of fellowships, whatever crosses my mind, but I'm out here where the rubber meets the road in the front lines of real relationships, real life with real people. Some are pastors and ministers, some are not, some are confused, some are not, some have a great strong-minded viewpoint and some do not. So we're here where I guess you'd say that there are multitudes hovering in the valley of decision. Some have already made their decisions. Some have made up their mind to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Some have not. And then some have decided that they are just confused. So I'm going to talk today about abiding relationship theology based on James 3.17. That any wisdom that comes from above is first of all pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And I try, always have, to live my life on and off the media, anywhere I go, the same way. You don't always get treated the same with the same respect at different people, you know, different kinds of people or their personality or different ministries. Sometimes you can be sweet baby Jesus so easily that he turned the other cheek, walked the extra mile, just that snugly in the blanket baby infant. And we wish we could be like that. We want to be like that. I've tried to be like that. My father was pretty much like that most of the time. And he was a Christian, a pastor. But I remember him not through the ministries because I didn't go there all the time. I just remember him at home and how respectful he was. He loved the Lord. He loved my mother. He treated everybody with respect, all walks of life, all races, including myself and my sister, his mother. But he wasn't famous. And see, that famous part is, is like, it's the opposite of relationship. It can make you look like you are at the top and have it all. But really, only people who have been there know that it isn't always fulfilling. Because if you look past the private life, the public persona, the face, the outfit, the ministry, the leadership, then you realize that when that is gone when they go home there's a different world they face and it could be one where they're grieving or they have fights with their wife or their husband or they maybe they're being unfaithful or they just don't know exactly what's going to happen next they've been hurt and they can't talk to anybody because it's not done when you're up in ministry as they say so there are different kinds and styles of ministers. My father was not a charismatic or prophetic or any of these kind that are new today. Uh, he wasn't famous, as I said, a, person, a persona, but he was a family man. And that's why I picture Jesus as he walked about doing good, healing all those who are oppressed by the devil. That's what it says about him in Acts 10.38. So the long story of the whole consensus of our opinion of abiding James 3.17 relationship theology is really this. And you can look at the website from time to time, but the basic points that you could fill in the gaps with your own leadership thinking and praying and teaching 
will be and tell the other leaders, teach the other leaders, is over on the homepage of relationshiptheology.org or .com. When I was Googling around to buy those relationship domains for the ministry, I came to relationship theology, but because I didn't know about it, I'd already developed the abiding relationship, uh, abiding relationship, James 3, James 3.17 philosophy, I didn't want to copy theirs intentionally, so I just didn't look at it. And so I acknowledge that we have that website, relationshiptheology.org.com. So we're getting the new YouTube where I'm going to really go in and out on the relationship theology fine points, because here at the grassroots level is where you really get you can really trust the minister, the Christian, the, the must-be-born-again Christian like I did my father, or else not. And in the last generation, since this generation got on TV and now they're on YouTube, there's a lot more, I think, more fast talkers, fast learners, but maybe they've got the facts or the good knowledge or the head knowledge from brother and sister so-and-so up on YouTube who are fine. Most of them are mature, healthy good doctrine if you're a noble brand and don't swallow every person's Kool-Aid. But then you find the, the fix-it-quick generation, pop psychology included in a lot of these, tons of these, but also those who really don't have a good relationship in their background, maybe with dad, mom, maybe there was no father. It's not their fault. We're not accusing you. We're assessing you that that could really make a big deal if you've never had a healthy male, stable, female role model, and only maybe an angry accuser or one that beat you down using the Bible, God's holy book. So part and in fact, most of abiding relationship theology is sincere, wanting to help people, to not cure you, but to let you in on a secret how you and God can work on it yourself. Because if you were abused and you were hurt, and you didn't know it still affected you now, even though you get born again, invite Jesus into your heart, you'll have to really go back and ask the Lord about that. Because sometimes you'll have a stereotype role model, like from your dad, you had an angry grandmother, let's say, or angry authoritarian pastor, father, someone immature and raging. And even though you accept Jesus, and now you're this wonderful, well-trained minister, leader, when a person with that countenance that resembles them comes into the church as a newbie or is a person that you meet on the street or you counsel, you'll have to really fight the fear, the anger, or whatever, unforgiveness, or the big stereotyping. And I say this because I have been used by God to uncover and discover a lot of these stereotypes in what I generally call the compassion-fatigued Eli Temple High Priesthood of 1 Samuel. They are, and I've talked about it over, but since we're starting afresh on relationship theology, you're going to hear a lot of the background here, and you might hear for weeks. Relationship theology says that when you looked at what happened in the first chapter, really the first five chapters of 1 Samuel, you'll notice that there was a, a high priest family the father named Eli, there was the two associate ministers, his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and those two sons were notoriously evil. They were called the sons of Belial or Belial, 
which means devil. And here's what they did. The two characteristics of the sons of the devil that are in ministry back then, and they were Hebrews in the Jewish law, so they knew the law not to do what they were doing. And one of them were, would they would sleep with the women. They would sleep with the women that came to the door and use them. So they had relationship issues of, first of all, that family. Why didn't Eli set them down if he knew that? And why did he tolerate that culture at the church, the place of God's holy presence? And so he had a relationship issue with the Lord. Both of them did. All three of them did. That they were, they were out of touch. They were not truly in it with their heart, mind, and soul, which is the Hebrew, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, love your neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. These were the neighbors, even though they were in the church. So we look at the fallen carnal priesthood and we look at the other part, and that was that they used the offering for themselves. The young sons, the associate ministers would put pressure on God's people to bring the offering, which is the fat of the slaughtered animal. And then they would commandeer, get another person to pressure them to bring more and they would take it for themselves. It says in that scripture that during that day, because of the wickedness of the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the associate pastors, that the offering of the Lord was despised in that day because they used people. They didn't respect God's people. They weren't holy living. They didn't respect God. It was a relationship issue first with the Lord and each one of those three. Secondly, it was then filtered out to relationships that were supposed to be divine respect for all the women and men equally. The gender roles, you know, the office of God, his appointment to let them give them the privilege and honor of serving in the high priestly office for the whole area. That was a big deal, is a big deal. They were chosen as a family, a unique choice by God. His hand was on them. They're calling anointing talents for his service. That they would have a carnal despising of using God's offering and taking it for themselves for their own pleasure showed they had a relationship with money issue. The Bible teaches us that the love of money is the root of all evil in our ministry. When I'm trying to make it in new vocabulary, not changing scripture one bit, but just trying to elaborate, illuminate on the meaning, I think, you know, it's the relationship with money, people's money, making money, having more money, having not enough money, criticizing about money. All right. It's the relationship with money that appears to be the root of all the world's evil. All right. Sexual trafficking pornography, cussing people out, killing people for their money, their tennis shoes, divorce, fighting, child abuse, rage, because they don't have enough money coming in. They don't know when they're going to get panicked. Drugs, all these things can go on with money. It's a, all these can be traced to relationship roots. And the pull, the world, the flesh, the devil. All right, so we're going to make it plain, but because it is this big, this topic is this big, I'm going to elaborate and put little teeny snippets so that you can go through when you want it on YouTube and you can say, I feel like I need to hear that one, but I don't have time today to hear that one. So I'll make a couple of small ones and some long ones. This is a long one. One will be about the modern day Christian 
And let me say this again. I've said it. I think it's on every website, every ministry. I said that every comment, every vocal, audio, video, written article is directed only to the Christian, Christ follower, men and women of the must be, you must be born again, Bible believing communities. And within that group, those who have ears to hear. However, anyone who doesn't fall into that category, you're welcome to tune in and listen and evaluate and pray. We respect you fully, but we got to deal with our own selves. What does the Bible say? My Bible teaches me in the Old and New Testament that it says, Second Chronicles 7.14, and this is for priests, pastors, fivefold offices, myself. I have to work on this also. In this, with humble humility as an apostle, all right, what I say is that Second Chronicles 7.14 is addressed to God's people that were the Hebrews back then. It's a precept for today because it's confirmed by Peter in, in the New Testament. But the Old Testament says, if, a condition, if my people, says the Lord, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and heal their land. Well, let's look around. Is our land healed? Is this nation healed? No, something's going on. So let us say, let us refrain, Christian. Let us refrain from finger pointing and accusing the non-believer, the non-Christian, the fallen. You know, let us not point to other faiths. This is about us. It's all about us. This scripture, we need to do that. Look at that scripture, 7... Second Chronicles 7.14 and say what relationships and how are they depicted in there? All right, it says if see God has a relationship with his people in ministry and leadership on down in that verse you can read it for yourself. Alright. The other one in first the first in the New Testament it says let we are to let allow Judgment to come to the house of God first. Let self-judgment, not accusation, but assessment, evaluation, and repentance turn from our wicked ways. Let it come to the house, houses of God. The ministry house, the pastor's house, the private house, everybody's house. Your house, my house, head of home, single parent's house, whoever. All right. When these happen, we will see the needed emergency, dire change in our own Christian life and society and humanity, but it'll affect, like Ephesians 4, the community. Read Ephesians 4. Because I teach on all of these things many times, I will refer to these today, but I will go into them specifically and put Ephesians 4 teaching on one called Ephesians 4 another day. All right, let's go back to First Samuel the Eli caustic, dysfunctional, chaotic, lethargic, compassion fatigue priesthood, which I started to analyze and I've written about since 2013 on TavoLeader.com. What we notice is that when the Bible teaches relationships in the New Testament, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn Jesus Christ my father used to quote as a Baptist preacher, the shortest book in the Bible when I was little, Jesus wept. Why would Jesus weep? Jesus wept because he had empathy and compassion for his friends, Mary and Martha, because their brother Lazarus had died. Now Jesus, who's supernatural, 
could have probably known. He probably could have gone earlier and saved him. He could have, you know, from being from dying. He could have, but God's Holy Spirit said, don't go yet. So Lazarus died, and he saw that with great compassion, the pain that real death causes people, literal death causes that much heartbreak and sorrow. And he realized it probably for the whole world, what was really going on. Maybe he'd never seen it up close. And so he had great, such a dawning on him of spiritual awareness that day that his human heart hurt. And he got it and perceived it and he wept. However, the good news, God had supernatural power and they brought Lazarus back to life. But it's an example for ministry. Jesus was not compassion fatigued. He wasn't too busy checking his clock. He didn't blame like the temple Eli priest, the weeping woman who was in grief because she was persecuted by the other wife because she was barren and was there with the blessing and love of her husband. He cherished her, but she was alone, the lone woman symbol appearing on the steps of the porch of the temple. What will trigger the heart of what's inside the the Christian minister today and what triggered whatever inside the heart of Eli was well known. It's written down, it says, when Eli saw this woman, a strange leader woman over there crying on the te- temple porch steps, his first thought was, oh, look, it's another drunk. I've seen those overly emotional women, time wasters, time again. Oh, no, they've got a lot of unforgiveness baggage. But here I am on my break, just trying to take a few minutes out in the sunshine. There's one. That's what it reads because I've been around this. That's why I read that big a deal. I also know it's a red flag to me, a buzzer more than most, because I didn't have that growing up. And I saw my father interact with many people, and he wasn't religious. He wasn't easily turned off by their human sorrow. He had he was one that wept with those who wept. He he loved my mother as Christ loved the church. So the idea is that perhaps we just have gotten too big, too famous, too fast-paced and hurried, too time-consumed, too self-important. And I'm going to say that in assessing. So I'm trying to not accuse. I'm trying to bring it to light for thought-provoking self-assessment. Let self-assessment come to each of the houses of God. And we base our criteria not on the amount of big bucks you have or don't have, how big your church is in numbers or not, whether you're online or never go to church at all, whether you have a mega church of many thousands and you're on TV and everybody knows your name or nobody knows your name. There are kinds of ministries out there that God uses that nobody will know how effective and wonderful they are, how anointed till we get to heaven. And you know, there's a King Solomon style out there. If you look around the nation, the mega church, then there's the Mother Teresa style and everything in between. Mother Teresa is more swarm. That's more like us, the exotic lampstand tribal. And nobody can fit all of God's people, his choice Christian people into one house, one group. And so many, he, he's so multifaceted, he can show off different parts of his nature. If we were careful to watch and not criticize and we analyze, make sure they're by the Bible, he can show off himself in different kinds of groups and styles, whether we like them or not, or whether we're spirit-filled or not. Back to Samuel. So we see this 
gifted anointed family and they become misogynist they become misogynist what anti they're woman hating woman using woman abusing which is a relationship giant issue right now in ministry certain parts of the ministry using I can go on and on for that I have some verses that come to my spirit that I've seen abused and I'll teach on them specifically it is that bad such as almost makes you want to throw up to see a caustic Christian quasi-minister validate using a female a human being made in God's image his equal maybe a peer maybe a suffering poor person maybe a lone woman maybe a grandmother maybe a a lady who's pretty easy but the idea divorced person or not and they're not all easy believe me I know that because I'm not I haven't been and I'm grateful I mean it's God's grace because I had a good dad that's his mercy I just put in a plug for good parenting and real Christians who do who walk the walk and honor their spouses and their children too so um god forbid but god is good so anyway so we have these men that are user priests abuser priests of god's money a relationship theology big issue and his half the congregation 50 percent, i guess would be women but prone to use those are huge relationship disrespect dis- demeaning user type examples to teach Eli, Eli priesthood what about Eli and his two sons relationships was he afraid of them did he have fear of man which brings a snare of his own two sons because maybe they were dominating controlling and outnumbered him I don't know where was Eli's wife maybe she was just a non-person that they just thought women are chattel hey it's just it's only a female you know I don't know, but God was using the whole Eli dynasty pastorate to change and sweep through the nation. When the silent, when the weeping woman, the figure of the weeping woman came crying on the steps, how did I know she was a leader woman? Well, she turned out actually to be the, the mother of the first prophet of the nation of Israel, Samuel. As soon as... We give credit that when Samuel first, excuse me, when Eli first looked at her, he said, oh, it's a woman. He said, oh, it's a drunk because her shoulders were, he didn't automatically think, oh, I wonder what's wrong. Let me hurry up, get off my cassock and go over there and comfort her and see what's going on. Instead, he uses the middle-aged priest stereotyping from afar using his prophetic gifting, I guess. I don't know. So through the nation of Israel back then, through the Hebrew people, the priesthood was giant, it was key. And so God was inspecting the relationships because he values men and women. He values his reputation. He valued, and when he saw that the money was despised, the whole offering was despised, and it went back to who? His choice of the office pastors. And they were making a laughing stock with misogyny and money using in the people and affecting his good reputation so he couldn't let it last he had to do something later on we find that anonymous prophet nobody knows who 
Nobody wrote his name. We don't know who this person is. He probably was sitting there thinking, oh, Lord, why am I going through such pain and misery? I know you've got a call in my life. When are you going to bring me out, out of this prophetic pit, this cave? And you know what? One day, just God, God said, go. Here's the word of the Lord. Give it to Eva, Eli. And when he did, that was all we ever heard of him. And maybe that was his only ministry. Only God will tell when we get to heaven. We'll know. So we look and say, well, here comes this lone prophet and he gives the word of the Lord bold enough, courageous enough, has the fear of the holy fear of the Lord, has a relationship of purity with the Lord, that he has the boldness of the Lord, the courage. And he gives a word of the Lord to the top priest, the big mega pastor of the area. And he says to Eli, he says, God, he says, Ichabod, God has written over this nation, Ichabod. The glory of God has departed and God is going to smite your sons and you and there'll be no more there'll be no more um, priests and you're on down. There'll be no more priests from you, only other people. So God was he was in patience and then he couldn't tolerate it anymore. He wasn't gonna tolerate put up any any more performing monkey shines anymore. So there it was the glory of the Lord has departed from Israel. What is the glory of the Lord? It says manifest presence and peace and power for his blessing. And it comes when the people are in a relationship with him with its healthy and mature and honoring him and serving him with all the relationships in their ministry and their family, honoring the Lord, much like much like Ephesians 5:21, in which my parents both operated as married couples. It says mutual submission in the fear of the Lord. In the fear of the Lord, Ephesians 4, everyone in the Christian community, born again, walk in meekness and lowliness and endeavoring to walk in long suffering in your relationships and then honor the common doctrine of Ephesians 4, when Lord, when faith, when baptism, when God, the father of us all. That's another story. So we're looking at the pressure of the priesthood. We're looking at the getting sort of weak on your watch over the hill you don't have to be nobody has to be but he got compassion fatigued and complacent because he was not cutting edge anymore he lost his sharp discernment skills when he tolerated compromise in his ministry with the men in his ministry and he didn't rise up stand up act like grown-up jesus and toss those two predatory priests out of their office their keisters to the curb even though they were family so what happened came true one day eli's sitting there and he gained a lot of weight he was middle-aged priesthood usually that's when they've gotten oh i've seen it all i know it all I've seen that kind a thousand times. I've seen those males. Oh, they look like that. They'll do this. Oh, those females. They look like, oh my. Oh, those black people. You know, all those Hispanics, all those Asians, all those white people all act alike. So arrogance, thick of discernment, dull, not cutting edge was the trait of the Eli priesthood. So one day, Eli's sitting there, he's putting a lot of weight, packed a lot of weight. I guess they had so much to eat with all that offering taken. <laughs> Living high. If, anyway, I won't go there. Some thoughts came about women in Eli. I didn't, they didn't say that. I won't add to God's word. Excuse me. 
So one day he's sitting there and he's older and he's got a bald head. And all of a sudden the news comes that his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, have both been slain. He is so shocked. Eli is so shocked that he falls backwards and breaks his neck. And that is the end. Just like God said with that anonymous prophet, that's exactly what happened. And the glory of the Lord Lord departed. Samuel grew up to be the first national prophet. The prophets became the word of the Lord. The people of God could not hear the word of the Lord for themselves like we can to do today. They didn't have all the ability to really ask Jesus into their heart, get a deposit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. There's a relationship. He can nudge you from the inside and say, I want you to do this, or he'll help you answer the problem or show you about getting rid of fear, all these wonderful things because of relationship. That's why it's so important to know relationship theology. Anyway, I'm going to wind this one down because I've got much more to say and I don't want to you know I'm going to make little installments some of like two minutes I just will have to you know let this come out please spread the news around network this around and pray for it support it as the Lord allows and as the Lord leads you know when we teach on offering taking it's been very hard for me because I didn't grow up mercenary trying to think how can I get more offering but we've had so much anti since we're not of the system of the popular system the US system and we this is how I know about relationship theology cuz there were no and first of all you move to the real deep south and the country people persons raised don't value maybe themselves but they certainly don't value females and they mistrust them and then if you have a non-showbiz type personality or you're just sort of low-key servant leadership that's not popular because you have to be more aggressive and I've just got why we're here we'll put it out if it's meant to be found somebody will find it we just that's why we're online we're so peaceful I've never had so much joy in my life however we do feel that we're supposed to have gatherings two or three gatherings around DFW any other place with other leaders that are mature and to have an office and a place for music and worship and recording. So, and a van, because I do feel the main thing out of all this, when 2019 came, all of a sudden the Lord said, I'm calling you to get that new car where I can live in it, and like camp in it, to be with the homeless, like a truck or a big van, new, not old or shabby. And have plenty of room where you can go. Two things. One, you can go be out in the field with the homeless and cart them around and haul them. That's why a truck's great with a cover on the back. You can then go, and the Lord commissioned me in any time now, in 2020, even more, around the nation. He says, I want, I'm commissioning you to go out to be the evangelist. I, I'm sending you out to evangelize. You'll need a reliable vehicle. This one's old. It's not reliable. I like it, but it's just the Lord is saying this. So I say, okay. So I said, well, Lord, who am I going to evangelize? He said, the must-be-born-again Christians and ministers. So here we are. We're ministering to the Christians and let the Christians get it right with God. Let the Christians get the fear of the Lord, and then everybody else can do 
they'll know what a real Christian is and who a real Christian is. And I'll be a lot of God will work on me, too. Nobody's made it. I haven't, you know, I'm the chief sinner along with all the rest. But at least I'm working on it. I'm mature enough to think I have the fear of the Lord. And I believe that there there's a lot more for the church to do. And I, you know, I'm ready to do it. But listen, if you're going to get accused, dominated, called a, all these gossipy, horrible names, witch watch and predatory ministry and caustic Christ following and hail fellow shallow, well-met Christ following pastors and you don't know who's true and who's false and everybody wants to be famous, then something right. I'm submitting you to you. It is not right. Something is not healthy. So therefore, I'm going to go out and worship and preach and whatever God says and start online. But the bottom line, it's because of <laughs> no holy fear of the Lord in America, in the ministry, in too many quarters. And I will say it is not usually denominational as much as non-denominational. So that's my turf. And I was, even though I was, ra I was raised when my father had a very small rural church, I call it in the piney woods. So I'm, and then where I used to live is a lot more rural than out here. So I have ministered and I've lived in cosmopolitan. I've lived in small, medium-sized towns. Now I'm living in the metroplex and I understand real ministry. So we're not feeling put upon. We're not feeling playtime either. We feel chosen, and if it witnesses to you, then pray for me. And really, if you feel it's valid, then sow into the minute given to the Lord, and we'll use it for our truck and our getting in our musical instruments. When I had the rape assault attempt, they tried to rape me. The guy was stoned that I leased God's office from last year. They come after I reported it. Long story short, they ruined the keyboard, our big Korg X90S keyboard professional quality which i recorded on and used on ministry so that is also that in the car the top two and whatever else so the lord you know listen look at that this way instead of thinking oh poor you know it was a rape attempt blah, victim no this per these people because it was involved the people who owned the building over the guy that le subleased to me it was a whole bunch of people robbers good old boys the system all right and that's done but i'm looking back now and i think man now i know how bad it is for people when they get victimized predatory real rape sexual abuse and then the system tries to take them down attack them and retaliate but when we're looking past that you peel it off it's relationships who did what to whom and why why don't they value God and themselves, don't they value their own marriage, that they've got a wife? Don't they value their reputation? Don't they value another human being? Don't they value that relationship? Do they have any pure heart at all? You know, and drugs do cloud things, but what about a relationship with drugs? Why are they needing drugs? Why didn't they go to God and get healed if they were that in pain that they need drugs and before they got addicted or if they were addicted at all? I don't know. So I have a lot to say, I have a lot more, but I'm going to hang up now. Hang up. I'm hanging up because I'm hanging out filming this, watching 
pigeons and water and being with God. You might hear sounds, but I love my relationship with God and nature. I liked, I'd prefer to be by moving water, still moving waters, and I have all my life. I didn't always live in the country. I, you know, I can relate to the country because I grew up in it some. We were not country, but we were sent there on mission as a family, and then we were moved to Norfolk, Virginia Beach, very cosmopolitan, and then stayed there, Virginia Beach, and went back to the central Virginia, which is a lot rural again, and then now to the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, where I have really discovered for the first time that I never knew such existed in my life under the name of born-again Christian, Christ-following ministry. I also add, I think caustic family raising massively, but also TV affected, TV affected clearly. Maybe no daddy or mama that was a good, positive, healthy Christian, mature. So now they want to be their heaven. They want to, they don't know the heavenly father. So they want to be like famous brother. So-and-so famous TV teacher and famous TV teacher minister. And so we deal with that. I call it wannabes, the wannabe amongst the wannabes and the Boanerges. The Boanerges are like the sons of thunder where they came up, they were immature ministers with good hearts, well-intentioned, perhaps great gifting, but they wanted to be equal with Jesus right off the bat without seasoning. So they said, so they got their mama, they were still tied to mama's apron strings. So they said, mama said, can my boys, can my baby boys sit at your right hand when you get to heaven? Trying to be the, you know, in between for them. Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking. Well, later on, the people, the Boanerges, even though they were mature and they had a pure heart, God honored them and they got seasoned and later on were martyrs. So you don't know who you're meeting. But right now we don't trust. A lot of us do not trust people that say they're a Christian. And I will say that I've found that if I were to deal with somebody and find out who they really are right off the bat and they really mean it, they're going to be from it not a Christian. Either they're going to be gay, Buddhist, Hindu, pagan, tarot card readers, lesbians, LGBT. Those people are not lukewarm. It's only the born again Christians in too many places, not all. Assessing after years, 14 years out here. Where I've never seen such. I was never brought up to be this bold. But God stripped me of all fear of man-pleasing out here. And I'm so grateful he did. Because once I cut myself off from caring what other people, all the system thinks, the legalists, the man-pleasers, the woman-pleasers, the human with no fear of the Lord, I lost my fear and got my freedom. And it's never been the same. I'm not going back. I'm not going back. But I can at least help somebody, maybe encourage you not to give up, not to quit on Jesus because of his relatives down here on earth. That's what I meant. Don't give up on Jesus just because you met so many strange people in your family that were Christians or Bible beaters or see them on TV. Don't. 
not all of them are me and I'm trying to package this now so people can get the phraseology and the idea. I gotta go because we're running out of time and people are coming around throwing rocks in the water. But I'm not going to throw stones. I'm going to assess, not accuse. And I suggest we all do likewise. God bless you. This is Tavo. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Signing off.